Catholic, and this is a crucifix. Little Timmy stood up. He said, I'm Baptist, and this is a casserole. <laughs> you like that, do you? <laughs> what in the world defines us as Christians? Sometimes it's the little things. It's doing the right thing all the time. Today in the bulletin, the pastor had put a caption on a message of a corner of a rope, a very small little item. But I'm going to put it into a bigger picture and say, today we're going to talk about Christian integrity. In the dark of night, there was a Bedouin way out in the desert. He was in a tent. It was very dark. And he lit a candle. He was hungry in the middle of the night. And he picked up a date out of a bowl that was beside him. He was going to eat a little date for a snack. And as he went to eat that, he noticed there was a worm on it. So he set it aside. He grabbed another one. It was kind of wormy also. So he looked in the bowl, and it looked like the whole bowl had gotten full of worms. So he did the only thing he could think of to do. He blew out the candle. Okay, look. It's not really so much of a joke as to say this. What we do in the dark of night when nobody is looking is what defines character. It's what defines Christian integrity. And as we're in 1 Samuel chapter 24, Webster defines integrity as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. I still think it's what you do in the dark when the candle's out. And if it's honest and if it's biblically principled, that's the kind of person that God might label a man after my own heart. You would join me in just a word of prayer. Father, I just pray you would just help us to be true to this message. Father, help us to speak of integrity in a way that matters to us. That we go out in the workplace, that the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. Because you are our strength and our reward. Father, thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. Father, we just pray you would strengthen the mind of us. We pray in Jesus' name. We have followed David from Bethlehem's pastures to a battlefield where he faced down a giant. He's won the heart of a nation. The people sing his praises. He's also won the enmity and the jealousy of a king. He finds himself going from this gentle pastoral hillside to a king's palace for an outlet, basically leading a mercenary band in the desert. Not for one year, not for two years. For 16 years, David was running. The number one man on the most wanted list in Israel. Hunted by everyone. Enemies on every side. And what was his crime? What did the man do? Nothing. People liked him better than the king. If the king was jealous. And what do you suppose happens? Under the providence of God, in this story, 
God takes this king who has been hunting David for years and brings him to the very cave where David and his men happen to be staying. You ever go to Merrimack Caverns over in St. Louis? You got old Jesse James hideout? Well, here you got old David and his mercenaries hideout. And King Saul, unknowingly, goes right into this den of lions and is sleeping soundly, surrounded by his enemies. And David has a chance to kill Saul. What would you do? What would you do? I love revenge of my enemies. I'd like to tell you I'm better than that. <laughs> but just that thought. Finally, they get theirs. Come on, how many of you use that word karma? They're going to get theirs. How many of you say, well, you just watch. Oh, don't give me that look. Half of you in here know that if, if you sent a Christmas card out to someone and they didn't send you back one, you put it on a list. You did. And next year, you're going to send one out depending on how they made you feel this year. We do this in ways small and large every single day of our lives. And unfortunately... The true fact of the matter is you will experience joy in your life beyond belief and you will experience at times pain. And sometimes you will experience unfair treatment. And there is a one thing you can do to stop it. It's part of life. It is normal to want to lash out and for someone else to experience the hurt that I'm feeling. If I hurt, I want you to hurt. That's a normal human reaction. God gave David a gift. He gave him Saul, wrapped up in a little bitty bow, laying at his feet. Remember your Sunday school lesson today, what the pastor was just talking about, old Abigail? David learned a lesson recently. He had learned a lesson previously that said this. God sent an angel named Abigail, a messenger. And that messenger instructed Davis, David, here's what you do when you're angry. Here's what we're going to do when you want to get revenge on one of your enemies. This is David's test. This is when we find out if David learned anything. This is when we're going to find out what kind of man David is when no one's looking because there's no Abigail around this time. This is just David and a whole bunch of mercenaries and his enemy at his feet. And so as we're in this lesson, I ask that question again. What would you do? David has been hunted like a dog. He has been unable to have a family. He's been married all this time. You think he's been able to live with his wife? You think he's been able to have his kids around? He's had any kind of normal life? He has spent years being hunted for nothing. What David does next is what integrity is all about. And so Christian integrity, two, what it's not, and one, what it is. First, what is, what is Christian integrity? Christian integrity is not based on circumstances. David was a hated man, verses 1 and 2. Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, who he should have been hunting, and he was told David's in the wilderness near Engadi. So what's he do? He takes 3,000 
of his best soldiers. He took his elite force and he said, I'm going to kill him this time. He's not getting away again. You think we hunted bin Laden bad? Saul hunted David that badly. He wanted him. He took his elite force and he went after him. And he was going to end this one final time. David has been leading these mercenaries one step ahead of an execution. Years. Verses 1 and 2, 1 Samuel chapter 18. You go back a few chapters, verse 9, verses 15 through 26. They'll tell you Saul just absolutely hated David. And that is the circumstance David finds himself in. And I would ask this question. You know somebody who just really seems to have it in for you? And, you know, it takes me about 10 seconds to come up with the first name on my list, which is a co-worker of mine. Twelve years ago, twelve years ago, this guy joined the company where I already was. That means I should have, you know, seniority here. <laughs> it don't work that way. <laughs> it took this guy two weeks to explain to anyone who would listen that he hates Bible thumpers. It's been 12 years. <laughs> the man will undercut you. He will backstab you. He will do everything he can to tear you down. 12 years. And I ask you this. Give me a chance to get even with this guy. What am I going to do? And believe me, if you ever worked in an office place or in a building, there's lots of opportunities to get even. You whisper a little word to somebody. You know it's going to get back to the right people. They make a mistake because we all make mistakes. You just blow it a little out of proportion and make sure it gets back to the right person. You can undercut each other all day long. And that's simple compared to what was going on in this story. I'm hurt. I'm frustrated. What do I do? To Saul, David was everything he wanted to be. Saul hated David because David actually walked with the Lord, and Saul had no idea how to do it. None. He hated David because God was blessing David, even while he was on the run. Saul wanted to be blessed. But instead of getting right with God, he just kind of took it out on David. He hated David because David was accepted. You go all the way back to the beginning. You can go back to Cain and Abel and see that story working itself out. He hated it because God accepted David. Saul himself has been rejected. And it is inevitable that people will rise up against us in life. And just be sure if they do rise up against you, it's because you're doing what's right, not because you're, you know, being an idiot. <laughs> There's really no reward for being an idiot, okay? Um, sorry, that's probably not a nice thing to say in church. But First Peter chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, they'll, they'll all tell you if you're going to get persecuted, make sure it's because you're doing what's right, not because you're doing what's wrong. When Saul heard where David was hiding, Saul took an army and he said, we're going to kill him now. So he took his 3,000. He went up against David's band of 300 men. And Saul was doing everything in his power to prevent David from being the next king of Israel and to take that man down. And David now has the power over Saul. He has the power to end years of abuse. And I ask you this, what is integrity based on? Is it based on a feeling? Is it based on my circumstances? What is it based on? This is the difference between a child of God and a person who is living under the world system. 
you have the right to do anything you want. You'll be encouraged to do the wrong thing because the world will not understand a child of God. And in this, we find that a child of God has to stop and say, what does God want me to do? What is biblically the right thing to do? Christian integrity takes a step of faith. When it seems self-defeating, I will honor the word of God. And I purpose that in the small things every day. political statement. Then I'll move on. You know, I, I like Romans 13, especially in this particular political season. You know what Romans 13 says? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. It actually says that. To get the first Peter, it actually says, honor the king. Well, in those days, it was a guy who was trying to kill the church. That's what the Bible actually says. In this political season, this is an election cycle unlike anything I've ever seen. And at the end of it, I believe we're going to end up with a president that has been delegitimized by the other side, whomever it may be, and demonized to the point that the day they're sworn in, half the country already is convinced they're scoundrels. If your person doesn't get in, will you honor the president? Do you speak respectfully of them? You know who Saul was? Saul was the king of Israel. And he was a scoundrel. This is not a good man. You see how David spoke of him in this passage? By the time you're even in verse 11, and David is speaking with Saul, he's calling him father. He's calling him my king. Him by proper titles and with proper respect. Because David's integrity is not based on his circumstances, it's based on something else. What would you do if you could get even with someone who's been a thorn in the flesh you could get away with? Number two, Christian integrity is not based on conditions, which is verses three and four. Saul came to the sheep pens and all that good stuff, and David and his men were staying in the back of the cave, and David's men, you know what they said to him? Hey, look what God did. <laughs> this is good stuff. I'm going to hand your enemy over to you so you can do with him what you want. That's what Saul's guys were telling him. Now, who is, who is Saul's guys? Who is David's men again? They're mercenaries. These are soldiers. These are hard men. These are men who've been hunted. These are outlaws. They're merciless. I don't think you want to get caught by these guys. There are many Christians who will stand up and say, Lord, I will honor you if you will bless me. I give you honor when, when all things are going well for me. What do you do when they're not? What do you do when the conditions are bad, are difficult? And I put myself in David's place, and I say, I've been hunted without cause, and now I can get even. Not only can I get even, but I've got the fellows around me, my support group who are telling me it's the right thing to do. God wants you to get even. 
it's okay. You watch Oprah, Oprah would tell you it's okay. Every friend you have would tell you it's okay to get revenge in this circumstance. David's reputation demanded he kill Saul. He's got to lead a bunch of hard men in battle. He doesn't want to look like a coward. He doesn't look. He not want to look like a guy who left out. He's got to lead these guys to war. His reputation as a soldier is on the line. His reputation as God's man, because aren't they bringing God into this? Is on the line. And his revenge is on the line. That's his circumstance. That's the condition he finds himself. So David, he slips over to where Saul's sleeping. He has a knife in his hand. That's got to be just one big deep breath deciding what to do with that knife. He has the opportunity to end it all. And I think there's angels on each shoulder, and they are just talking away. And one angel saying, kill him. And the other saying, come on. And the other saying, no, seriously, get him. And the other one's going, come on, you know better. Remember Abigail. <laughs> Remember what God said. No one's going to blame him for taking out a mad tyrant. No one. Nobody. Most people would applaud him. Got a co-worker I don't like, it's easy. No one's going to blame me for taking him out. They all think the guy's kind of a jerk. I could get away with it. Or should I? The flesh does get them. They deserve it. They can hurt like they hurt. The flesh will say that every single time. The world says they did you dirty, get even, should get even. It's what makes you a man. It's what makes you strong. You ought to be getting even. When moments like that come, you have to listen to something. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Well, those are tough. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, and here's what it says. This is what's so hard. If your enemy's hungry, let him eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. He'll eat coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. This is a principle that will last forever. This is a principle that is eternal. You don't ever just say no to yourself and expect to win. You replace doing something negative with doing something positive. You have to do an action in order to change behavior. I want to do something to harm this person. What can I do to bless them? Because the day I make that choice, I show that I have integrity and I'm a man of integrity. 
I will bless those who curse them. I will bless them who curse them. That is a choice we make because we are Christians and we're people of integrity. It is not the way of the world. It is the way of God. And in the end, overcome evil is good. And by the way, revenge in and of itself is an illusion. It's something we learn from the Bible. It, 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 you never get even with anyone. You can't get even. You can never get rid of the scars. You can never get rid of the hurt. You can't get even. The only possible way to come out on top is to learn to respond with a godly attitude. And so integrity, it's not based on circumstance. It's not based on conditions. And I, I can tell you that there is always someone, and I have been this person, so I know that there is someone else who is this person who says, get over yourself. <laughs> I don't really care what the church says. I don't care what God says. You give me a chance, I'm getting even. <laughs> and I've been there, and some people will be there every day of their life. And it's not just about revenge, by the way. And I'll, I'll use this passage to go with that bigger picture. Integrity is, what am I doing that I know that God is saying to me on this side, I need you to get in line with my word. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't think it's fair. I don't want to. And over here, I'm hearing these voices saying, it's okay, you don't have to. And there's different areas in our life, and it's different for each person, but there are areas in our life all the time where God is speaking to us. One of the, one of the lessons that I, I, get, I had to learn, what those Bible verses say, well, I'll tell you the first Bible, Bible verse I ever learned. It was not John 3.16. It was a lady in a church who handed me an index card and basically dared me to learn something. And since I had approved something, I learned it. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach, patient, and meekness instructing those who oppose themselves, lest God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I had to learn that verse just to prove a point. And you know why I learned that verse? I was always getting in fights. <laughs> And I had a Christian lady walk up to me saying, that is not what God says you will do. You will not strive. You're going to learn to be gentle. Now, you have to understand, I looked at this lady right in the eye, and I said, it don't work. And she said, oh, you know, it don't work. You've never tried it. <laughs> you argue with everybody. It's like, oh, it doesn't work. You're what, you've been on my street. We don't act that way. And she looked at me and says, before you tell me that God doesn't, his word is law. What he says doesn't work. Try it. And that's my challenge. Try it. See if your life is better. Try it, God. Christian integrity, then. What is it based on? And here's what it's based on, and this is very important. It is certainly based on the certainty of God's providence. God is in charge. God has not gone to sleep. God has not given up on you. God is still the center of your life. And as a believer, he loves you. He loves you beyond the meaning of the word. He loves you enough to adopt you. He loves you enough to die for you. He loves you enough that he's building your own room in heaven. It's yours. The stuff you like. And Jesus said in John 14, wherever it is I am, I want you there with me. I love you. 
that God did not turn you loose like a sheep and a pack of wolves. That God has promised to walk. That God has promised to provide. That God has promised to be your strength and your shield. That God has promised courage. That God has promised to be there for you. When David had the chance to kill Saul and to exact his revenge, he refused to do it. But he did something kind of crummy anyway. He cut off a little piece of Saul's rope. Just a little piece. And as soon as he did it, he knew he did something wrong. Isn't that interesting in that passage? As soon as he did it, he knew he had done something wrong. You see, David couldn't hardly respect Saul as a man, but he still respected the office of Saul as the king and as his king. And he tells his men, I will not harm the Lord's anointed. And he stops them from harming Saul as well. But he still cut that little piece of rope off just to prove he was the man. Okay, sometimes you just got to prove it. You have to. And that's really what he did. And the point is this. Character in the little things. As soon as he did it, David felt bad because he said, even that, even that is taking away from God. I'm still trying to prove something to someone instead of showing up in bodies. And I can't. It is God's character that every Christian holds in their hands. And I really want to say this again, and I want you to walk out of here with that thought. You hold God's character in your hands. You do. Every action, every impulse is telling the world who God is. Everything you do tells us God's. You hold his character in your hands. The Bible says that we are to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. It's asking a lot. Why? You know why he says that? Because if a man thinks in his heart, that's what he is. We need to be like Jesus. So the world sees the character of God. I think I'll stick with work. I have another co-worker. One of those one of those Christian people likes to tell everyone he's a great Christian. She probably is. She annoys me. <laughs> everyone annoys me. I don't like the non-Christians. I don't like the Christians. I don't like anybody. No, really. They're okay. This young lady has actually been banned from going into, like, virtually every fast food restaurant around our work. She's rude. She's ignorant. She's mean to them. And if she buys something, she'll eat most of it and then take it back and say, oh, I don't like it. You owe me money back. <laughs> and has done it to the point that she's not even allowed into their establishments. I'm sorry. I wish she wasn't telling people she was a Christian. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, when we tell people we're a Christian, we kind of need to act like it. Really, we are holding God's character in our hands. We hold it in our hands every time we order a, a, a burger at McDonald's. 
we hold it in our hands every single time that we put gas in our car. We are holding God in our hands every time we come to worship. And what we do matters. Being mean makes God look small and it makes God look petty. And our God is high and lifted up in my hands. David believed this. His life is in the hands of God. And his God was greater than his circumstances. Even when it didn't look like it. Even when it didn't feel like it. He could let that king go free. And trust that God would save him yet another day. Because this was God. That's what made David so special. Old Thomas Edison. I'll tell you a light bulb story. I like. You ever like history at the museum? Some of those stories on TV. I, I like the historical references. Thomas Edison was working on a crazy contraption called a light bulb. It took a whole team of men 24 hours to make one light bulb. They'd work on it for a full 24 hours to make a light bulb. So it turns out that Thomas Edison. And his team of men put together one of those light bulbs. They'd worked on it all night long. And he gave it to a, like a little guy, uh, one of his boys who was working for him and told him to run it upstairs. And the kid was scared to death because he was so nervous. And you know the rest of the story. The kid gets halfway up the stairs and he drops the light bulb and it breaks. And he has to go back and tell the guys, I broke your light bulb, who went back to work for another 24 hours to make their light bulb. And at the end of the second 24 hours, when Edison was very tired, he called that boy in again, and he handed him the second light bulb, and he said, there you go, run it up the steps. Which is a pretty good story to me, because in the end, real true forgiveness, real true character is coming to a place where I trust the offending person again. I trust them enough to not just say, I forgive you, to not just say, we can be okay. I trust them with what I have that's valuable. That's forgiveness. David knew that revenge is left in the hands of God. He did not have the right to play judge and jury for God. It's not his When I try to determine another person's punishment for their transgressions, I have overstepped my boundaries. As a person and as a Christian, because we all are broken. We all fail. We all need to be person with integrity, understands that all of us all have fallen short of the glory of God. But God commended His love toward us in that moment He had sent His Christ to us. And that's what we're called to be like Jesus. But just to make you feel good, I'll tell you that Romans chapter 14, verses uh, 2 through 4, tell you that God's going to get them in the end. So. 
Just figured I'd let you know that. <laughs> yes, I looked such things up. David's character is noteworthy because even in taking a small measure of revenge against Saul, David is shattered because he touched the Lord's anointed and he had no business doing it, and his heart was so tender that even the smallest thing brought conviction. And condemnation. And I can appreciate that about him. So let me just kind of close with this. See, I'm going to get out of here on time today. Y'all didn't believe that, did you? I can do this if I try. That's about half this message, by the way. And I'm still going to click. <laughs> Verses 16 through 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 24 tell us what happens when we value the reputation of God. And we act with integrity. David's grace in this situation managed to actually break through some of the hatred and it touched the heart of Saul. Something that hadn't happened in years. He actually got through this guy. And God used the actions of David to bring peace. Maybe just for one day. But David had some of the toughest mercenaries around those 600 men taking on those 3,000 would have had a lot of families, but without parents, but without dads. But they all went home. They all because one man had the integrity. I think that's amazing. God can take Every pain that's in my life, that's in your life, transform it into an avenue of peace for His glory. Proverbs sixteen, chapter Proverbs chapter sixteen, verse seven. And I'll end with this: Abraham Lincoln was once criticized for his attitude toward his enemies, and he had a legion of them. You ever gone out to the museum out in Springfield? Ooh, those guys were vicious. <laughs> and they asked him, why don't you make, why do you keep trying to make friends with these people? Why? You ought to be trying to destroy them. And Lincoln's answer was so full, it was, am I not destroying them? I'm destroying my enemies when I make them my friends. Good answer. Today is a challenge from God's Word to let go. You know, if I was a good Pentecostal, I'd say let go and let go. I might say it anyway. But today is a good day just to let go. You got stuff you're hanging on to. You know it's dragging you down. You know it's not doing you any good. It's not doing anybody any good. Let it go. Let it go. Leave it God's problems. There's hurts, give it to the Lord. Ask Him to heal you. Ask Him to give you an avenue to bless someone else. If you're able to help someone, try to make things right. In the end, 
we do it for ourselves, we do it for the church, but mostly we do it for the glory of God. Certainly, if I've hurt others, I have the responsibility to go to them today. Good challenge for us. Even though demon-possessed Saul was able to see his fault in verse 17. And if Saul could see when he was messing up, I guess I can't see. But bigger than that, if there's some other area in our life we've been struggling with and we're saying, Lord, I just don't, don't know that I want to give that to you. Please understand. Lord, you're patient. In your life, you're the Christian. You are his ambassador. Everything you do speaks for him. Purpose. Purpose. Try it possible, folks. Give me we're here and we don't know Jesus as our Savior, then I guess that's really the first place to start. And so we, we would honor the Lord first and foremost by understanding that all of us have sinned and we're all broken. God loves you. He loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross. He loves us enough personally pursue you. To grasp you. To accept his sacrifice and take it. If you're here today and you ever thought, no, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. He may ask you to give up too much of this stuff. He asks for nothing. He doesn't give you. Doesn't replace us because you cannot replace peace. You can't replace you. You can't replace you. You can't replace you. But faith, peace, the fruits of the spirit. So let's stand together and have a word of prayer. Mike, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> there he is. Come on up, Mike. Mike's going to lead us in a closing song. If we, uh, if we have a decision to make, then, you know, we want to come up and pray the altar's open. We want to talk about knowing a little bit about Jesus. Come and talk to us. Come and talk to us. It's a good time. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us to look at David's life and say, wow, that's neat. I want to be a little bit like that. I want to be able to look at somebody who has frustrated me. Father, to realize that as your man, I can bless them. Father, I want to look at something in my life, but maybe I've been holding it back saying, Lord, this is mine. I don't want to be able to give it to you. And Father, for somebody who's never given their life to you, we just pray you to help them today, right now. Come to you. I want to say, I want Jesus. I want to be part of you. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Steve. Thank you for the good work he does. Thank you for the wonderful spirit. Father, help us to be great ambassadors. Pray in Jesus' name. What you got, Mike?